you've done my personal prayers and I pray that for you. So please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your grace to us that you would speak to us, God, and that you would open our ears to hear you. God, that's all an act of your grace. And we pray this morning that you would do that, that you would soften our hearts to you, that you would give us ears to hear you, God, and eyes to see you, that we would hear your word, that we would repent, and that we would be changed today. God, that we would be encouraged in our faith and renew in our hope that Jesus Christ is alive and that our future is secure. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We started a series last week called Gospel House, and we're talking about households of faith and how the message of the gospel, which is the good news that Christ has died for our sins and is buried and rose again, according to the scriptures, how that news and how that message shapes our household, how it shapes our families, how it shapes our lives. And if you think for a minute that the gospel is just a personal, private thing between you and God, and your relationship with God is private, and it, and it won't affect your household at all, then, then you do not understand the gospel. You don't understand who God is, because God will never just stop with you. If God has, has reached out to you and rescued you and saved you through the blood of Jesus, he wants to do the same thing with your entire household. And, and so that's what we're talking about, is, is how, that, how that happens. And Jesus calls all kinds of different people to follow him. But most of his early disciples were teenage men. They were teenage, we call them sometimes teenage boys, people who are in their mid-40s like me. But they're not boys, they're men. <laughs> they're men. If you, when you turn 13 in the Jewish culture, you're a man. And you are now responsible for your sins. Your parents are no longer responsible for your, for your sins. That's why they throw a big party. It's called a bar mitzvah. <laughs> so they were, they were teenage men. Most of the disciples were teenagers. Not all of them, but most of them. And they were uh, ordinary guys who were working hard, trying to uh, plan for their future, save some money, and, and all of that. And those, they, they, Jesus asked all of them to leave their families and leave their house to follow him. That's what you have to do. That's what we talked about last week, how, how important it is to follow Jesus. You have to leave the house. That was our main idea last week. Um, and that's what they did. They, they left behind their families. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, family is not first. Family can never be first. I've got to be first. And so that's what they did. They followed Jesus. They accepted that call. And those young, inexperienced, uneducated disciples followed Jesus, believed Jesus, did what Jesus did, and here we are. And the world has never been the same because of those 12 men, as Je it says, Jesus himself. Um, he was first in their lives. That's what made all the difference. So last week, we looked at some of the hardest things that Jesus ever said. One of the hardest things was, if you want to follow me, you've got to leave the house. And he, Jesus said it in dramatic fashion. He said, if you don't hate your father and mother and your brothers and sisters and your family, you can't be my disciple. And, and we talked about what that means. And he also says, if you're willing to trust me and follow me and do what I do and, and do what I say, then you will find your life. You will find out what your, what your purpose in life is. And it will be worth it. But today you're not going to hear Jesus ask you to leave your house. He's going to ask you to open your house. Today we're talking about hospitality and how important hospitality is to knowing and following Jesus. Now, uh, in January, the Barna Group, which is the, it's, it's pretty much the largest, most well-respected Christian research group, published a 154-page study 
called Households of Faith, and the study explored what makes for a spiritually vibrant household, and they, they concluded that there are only three key behaviors that make up a spiritually vibrant household. And here are the three behaviors. The first one is spiritual practices. Spiritual practices is, um, that is summed up as praying together daily and reading the Bible together weekly. If your household does that together, whether it's, it, you don't, not necessarily if you have kids, if it's just you and your husband, you and your roommate, whatever it is, if you do that together regularly, you're on your way to having a spiritually vibrant household. The second behavior is spiritual conversation. And that is simply talking about God and faith together at least once a week. Those are two of the three key behaviors. But if you only have those two behaviors, you still don't have a, a spiritually vibrant household. The third and final key behavior for a spiritually vibrant household is hospitality. That's what you need. Hospitality, this is, according to their research, households that uh, welcome non-family guests into their home several times a month were spiritually vibrant, according to this study. So what is hospitality? The Greek word hospitality is a, actually a compound word. It's two words that uh, together in the Greek make up this word that, that uh, the New Testament authors use. And those two words are love and stranger. And so that's what hospitality is. According to God, it's the love of strangers. And I want to challenge you this morning to practice this. We need to practice it. Following Jesus takes practice. We, we have to practice reading God's word and meditating on it and understanding it. We have to practice prayer. We have to practice talking about Jesus with others. And we have to practice hospitality. And if we are practicing those things, we will become better, more effective disciples of Jesus. We will become more vibrant disciples of Jesus. Um, and there are two different groups of people that we're to practice hospitality with, and we're going to talk about those two groups this morning. The first group that we are told to practice hospitality with is other Christians. Other Christians, okay? So First uh, Peter 4, verses 7 through 9, this is one of the very few verses in the New Testament that give us this instruction, and here's how the Apostle Peter wrote it to the churches. He said, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your praying. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. He's talking about all of that in relationship to disciples who worship together in a local church setting. And the ESV translates verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's another way to translate, a more literal translation of verse 9. Show hospitality to your brothers and sisters in Christ without grumbling. That's the, that's the command. So we need, to open your, we need to open your house to other disciples. That's what God wants you to do. If you want to have a spiritually vibrant household, open your house to other disciples. And if you think about what we just read in uh, 1 Peter, God attaches that. He, he's urging us to do this, and he attaches that to this most important of all commands. And the most important command, Jesus, by the way, Jesus said this same command to his disciples. He said, this is the most important thing, that you love each other. He said, we have to love each other. That's the most important thing about the church is that 
we we worship Jesus, you know, we, we, we obey his word, but that always produces love for one another. And that love is expressed through hospitality, through us opening our homes to one another. And there might be other Christians, and you might be wondering already, you know, I thought hospitality was the love of strangers. It is. And so if you put those two things together, I think, I think we need to think about is, are we opening our homes up to strange Christians? <laughs> I mean, if you look around you, you're going to see people who look strange to you. Maybe they look normal to me, or maybe they look strange to you, whatever. But the, the, point, the reason that other people look strange to you is because you don't know them. And if you would only get to know them, they probably can't promise you this, but they probably would seem less strange to you. Because now you know them. You know what they're all about. You know who they are. You know what they stand for. And you know, you know, you can, you can approve of their profession of faith in Jesus. Right? And so that's how that happens is through hospitality. We're not a big church, right? It's not like you're walking into a church of thousands of people and you can kind of hide in the back and nobody knows you're here. We're a, we're a small church, but we're big enough where I know that most of you don't know most of the rest of you. And that's, right, that's why we have small groups. And, I mean, we're a church of, if everyone was here on a Sunday, we would be jam-packed full, almost 300 people. There's, there's no way that you know everybody here, even close. And so the idea is we need to be reaching out to one another, opening our homes to one another, investing, listening, you know, praying, sharing, serving, all of that. That's, that's what this is about with, with each other. And hospitality is, it's like an, it's an ancient sacred practice that's been going on for centuries. And it's just part of what, it's just part of what being a disciple is. It goes hand in hand with following Jesus, is opening your house to other disciples, serving them, hearing their stories, praying for them, encouraging them, you know, talking about God with them. And if we are not doing that as a church, Guess what kind of church we're going to be? A dormant church. This practice of hospitality could be the difference between us being a vibrant church or a dormant church. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. So this might mean, I mean, I was hearing Clint talk about his, share about his story, and Phil and Patty opening their house to him. And originally, I don't know what kind of questions you guys asked, like, are you sure we should do this? I mean, think about Clint and where he's been and... You know, just a couple years ago, he was behind bars. Is this, do we really want to open our, our, our home up to him? Okay, just for six months. <laughs> and six months became three years. And, but look at, look at the results. Look at the results. And, I mean, th- that might mean, it might mean something like that. It might mean an extra bedroom in your house where someone who has hit rock bottom can stay for a while. It might mean an extra bed where that teenage girl whose parents kicked her out because she disappointed them can sleep for a, for a, a period of time. Um, it might be a place at your table with a man who's afraid that if he spends the night alone, he might go back to his addiction, can find, can find rest in, in, in a home and fellowship for a period of time. It might mean opening your home to a single mom or an unemployed man or a teenager in the foster care system. This is what disciples do. This is what we do. And, and this was, I think, relatively normal in first century churches. 
And, and Paul and, and, and Peter and Jesus himself were encouraging this. Do this more. Do this more. Do this more. This should be a lifestyle, a habit, a practice. And, that me, and you know why? You know why this was somewhat normal for them? is because they understood something. And, and sometimes I don't think we get this. But they understood that your life is not your business. Your, your life is my, your struggles are my business. Your difficulties are my concern. Your burdens are mine to carry because we're a family. We're in this together. We're not called to follow Jesus on our own. And, and so most of, the, most of the real supernatural activity that happens in this church, you know, most of the building up of the body, most of the real discipleship and the love and the giving and receiving is not going to happen in this building. It's going to happen in your homes. That's where it's going to happen. That's where it's supposed to happen. Open your house to other disciples of Jesus. Super important. But there's another group of people we need to open our homes to, and these are what I'm going to call the others. And I'm talking about strangers, Unbelieving neighbors, unbelieving people, and friends. Other unbelieving friends. The others. And in Luke chapter 14, this is, this is part of the passage we read last week, Jesus' call to discipleship. Jesus was a guest in a rich man's house sharing a meal with a bunch of people. And that's what Jesus did, by the way. It's what, it's what he did everywhere he went. He ate and drank with people. There's one New Testament scholar that summed up Jesus' life this way. He said, in Luke's gospel... Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And if you read Luke's gospel, he's pretty close to being right. So sharing meals with people was one of the primary ways Jesus showed people what God is like. That's how he did his ministry. That was the context where he preached and taught and loved and healed and blessed people. Was around, uh, many times around meals. Or on his way to a meal. And here's the thing. Jesus ate with all kinds of people, many of whom were the wrong people. He would eat and spend his time with people who no other rabbi would be caught dead with. He went to the people nobody else wanted. The people most of us would say, those are bad people. Those, they're the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people everyone labeled as sinners. But in this passage, Jesus is dining with good people. He happens to be around good people. They're proud and they are good. They have morals. They have convictions. But they are also far from God. They're far from God, as I think you're going to see. And so here's, here's what happened as Jesus is sitting at this table with all kinds of good people. We read in beginning in verse 14. Oh, sorry, verse 12. Then he turned to his hosts, and Jesus said this. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So Jesus starts by saying, we should not invite family or friends over to our homes. And that sounds kind of weird. Because that's what we normally want to do. That's how we think that's natural. That's how we enjoy life, by inviting family and friends over to our homes. And what you need to know is that Jesus is, he's being idiomatic here. 
And that's just a million-dollar word for he's not being literal, okay? He's not, he's not saying you should never invite your family or friends over. So remember last week when we heard Jesus say, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, even your own children, your own life. You have to hate your own life if you want to be my disciple. That's what he said. He was doing the same kind of thing there. And so what he's saying is, He's talking about reordering your priorities. That's what he's talking about, just like last week. He's saying family is not first. Family's not first. Jesus is first. And if you're going to put Jesus first, then you can't keep following this pattern of, I'll open my home up to people who I know the best. That doesn't work anymore. That's not what Jesus is about. You can't follow Jesus and live that way. That's what he's saying. And if Jesus is first in your life, you will not just open your house to those people who you know and are comfortable with. Real grace-oriented, Christ-centered hospitality goes deeper. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you want to know God, you should be ready and willing to invite people into your home who have nothing to give you in return. Saying, if you will invite strangers into your house, God will turn some of them into friends. And this is what Jesus did. He treated strangers like family. And that's what hospitality is about. That's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be treating strangers like family. That's what makes us different in this world. That's what makes us bright. And Jesus, so Jesus continues. Hearing this, and obviously I think the, 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 there was tension in the room after Jesus said that. And so hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. And anytime Jesus replies with a story, the person who just spoke before Jesus is about to get put in their place, usually. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I, had, I have just, must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Don't you hate it when your friends say that to you? I, my wife, I just can't. The servant returned and told his master what they said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys in the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he, re he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So Jesus tells this, this powerful story. And, and like all of Jesus' stories, this story is about God. That's, that's who this story is about. God is, is, is hosting this great banquet. And he invites all these different people into, into his house to be with him for this banquet, to eat and dine with him and celebrate. Happy people. First, they go to the happy people. Successful people, accomplished people, none of them want to go. They, they have all they need. They're too busy for God. One of them just got married. Another one just got promoted. Another one of them 
uh, just invested in some property and needs to inspect it. Another one just got some new equipment, needs to be broken in. They're all too busy to spend time with God. So God goes out to the strange. He goes out to the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. And God says, bring them in. I want my house to be full. And guess what? None of those people have any way to pay God back. None of those people have anything to offer God. All they did was say yes to God. They accepted God's invitation. And this is why Jesus would say things like, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You know why? Because the proud don't want God. They don't even want the invitation. They're too busy. They don't need God. But God gives grace to the humble. He welcomes the poor in spirit. Those people who know that they need help. Those people who know that they need divine assistance and rescue. God never turns them away. He wants his house to be full. And God's house is full of humble people. And only humble people. Think about that for a minute. So what does this have to do with us? How is this relevant to your life? That's what we want to know, right? Let me say this to Christians. And if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here, but you're off the hook with this one. You identify with Jesus explicitly. Your home is not just for you and your family and your friends. I hope that's clear if you were looking at God's word today. Your home is not just for you and your family and friends. If you are only sharing your life and your home with other Christians who are mostly like you, you need to be repent and be transformed by the grace of God. And here's why. Because opening your home to strangers is a picture of God's salvation. Did you see it? Have have you seen that picture yet? That's what it is. When you open, that's what Jesus was getting at in the story. When you, out of love for Jesus, open your house to people who have nothing to give you in return, you give them a taste of God. You give them a taste. You're pointing them to Christ. And I want to take you back to verse 15 for a minute. This man, we don't know who he was, but he he kind of pipes in after Jesus said his thing, and he says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, he, whoever that man was, he's right. It will be a blessing to eat at God's table in God's kingdom. And he, that guy probably thought he was going to be there. But it's not going to be like what you imagined. Okay? God's house will not be filled with the kind of people you think it will. The good people. That's not, that's not who God's house is going to be filled with, according to this story Jesus told. We love to open our homes to people who are honorable and popular and successful and wealthy and influential, people who ha- might have something to give us in return. That's who we want to open our homes to. But that's not the kind of people who end up coming into God's house, according to Jesus. And if you are only inviting good and honorable and well-liked and reputable people into your house, you might miss out on God. And and now I want to talk about you and I. 
and how we came to God's house, how we came to God's table. Think about that for a minute. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, this is an awesome passage that, that talks about who we used to be. And this is what it says. Remember that you were at that time, this is before you repented and turned to follow Christ, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the covenant and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what Clint and Aaron were when they were telling us, when they were talking about who they were before God completely changed them and changed their orientation in life. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the story's about. God sends his servant out. And he goes out to these, you know, the, the alleyways and behind the hedges. And he finds the people who are far from him. And he brings them in. He draws them near. And how does he do it? Through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Through his servant, Jesus. And through those messengers who take Jesus to others. And they share the gospel with people. And they tell them the good news. And they invite them to know and follow God. We were strangers to God. We were separated from him. But he brought us in. He welcomed us into his family, even though we had nothing to offer him. We come to God with nothing. And yet he continually refreshes us. Listen to Jesus' invitation in Revelation 3.20. This is what Jesus says to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Don't you love that picture? So, so here's, here's the big idea today. Welcome strangers into your house so God can welcome them into his. That's what this is about. Welcome strangers into your house so God can welcome them into his. Do you remember the man in the parable who invited all the guests and, and he asked his servants to go out on the streets and out, out to all these places? And why? Why was he doing that? Because he wanted his house to be filled. And that's what God wants. He wants his house to be filled. And, and I want to close this morning with, uh, with, this, with this quick story. I shared this years and years ago, but I was thinking about it again this last week. My, my grandma and grandpa lived right here in West Dallas over on 74th and Orchard. They lived in an old barn house. It was a big house. They raised five kids there, and they sent all their kids out. And, and, they, and they trained them how to make disciples of Jesus. And they sent them, and, and some of those kids went to, to places and other countries and are still there making disciples of Jesus. Uh, but before that happened, they lived in this house for some 30 years. And um, after my mom and her older brother went off to college, and they still had three kids in the house, my grandma and grandpa decided, they just said, we, we want our house to be full. We believe God wants every single room in the house to be used. And so they started renting out those rooms to people who had needs. And they just put an ad in the paper. Back then, that's what you did. There was no internet. So you put an ad in the paper, and you might get a phone call on your corded telephone, you know, that you dial. And some of you remember that. And um, people would respond, and they called them their rumors. That's what they were, their rumors. And they... They, uh, one, one uh, summer, my mom came home from college, and she slept on the front porch the whole summer because someone else needed her room. 
That's how committed they were to this. And, I mean, think about it. They could have turned those rooms into something else. They could have turned one of the rooms into an office. One of the rooms could have been a guest bedroom that never gets used. Some of you have a guest bedroom that never gets used. They could have turned it into a gym that never gets used. (laughs) They could have done all kinds of different things with those rooms. But they wanted their house to be full of people. And specifically, strangers who needed a cheap place to stay until they could get back on their feet. So shortly after they started practicing this, my grandma got sick and she died of cancer. My grandpa watched her die a slow, painful death in his house of cancer when they they realized there's nothing more they could do. It was really hard on him. And after she died, after she died, my grandpa could have said, you know what, I just need a break. I need to downsize. I'm just going to sell the house, move to an apartment, close myself off to the world, figure things out, you know. But he didn't do that. He wanted his house to be full. So over the course of those next 10 years, close to 50 different people lived in that house. And the Journal Sentinel, after he died, I couldn't find the article. It's somewhere in my house somewhere. But they published an article on my grandpa because of the impact that he had on so many strangers. And I remember being at his funeral in 1999. And people who I'd never met before standing up, and saying, I lived in Bill Narwald's house for two months, six months, two years. And God changed my life through that man. And my relationship with God has never been the same. I mean, person after person after person after person. And these are people, you know, some of them were college students. Some of them were adults who were struggling, unemployed, in between jobs. Some of them were divorced and, and struggling their lives, just trying to pick up the pieces. Some of them were training to be Olympians at the Pettit Center, just all kinds of different people. And you know what the cool thing was? Was those people became my extended family. They became my babysitters, my tutors, my friends, and my family. We all got to know them because my grandpa had an open house. We were over there all the time. And in 1985... My grandpa invited one particular stranger to live with him. My grandma, if my grandma was still alive then. Um, they never met, they, the guy moved in the day they met him. 1985, he was from Costa Rica, and he needed, he wanted to move to the States to study English and go to college. And so they, they, uh, they moved him in. He was a new Christian. My grandpa discipled him in his faith. They sent him off to Moody Bible Institute and then the seminary. And you guys know him as Henry. He was here a couple weeks ago doing our Passover meal. And in 1997, Henry led me to Jesus Christ. And the reason I tell you that, I mean, Henry, there could, my, my parents had been praying for me for years. My grandpa had been meeting with me for two years, pr- trying to persuade me to follow Jesus. But God chose Henry to be there on the night that I surrendered my life to Christ. I don't know why, but what I do know is that because of my grandpa, my grandma and grandpa's hospitality to that man, I decided to follow Jesus that night. So what I want to tell you is don't ever underestimate the power of hospitality, ever. Because you know what the writer of Hebrews said? I just remembered this now. The writer of Hebrews said at the end of the book, I'm going to forget it. I have to look it up. Sorry. I don't have it memorized. I should. Hebrews chapter 13, I think it's in verse 2. 
He said, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And what he's saying, he's not telling us to look, are you an angel? Uh, I don't think so. But he's telling you that you have no idea the supernatural power that can come with simply opening your home to a stranger. So please don't take this lightly, my friends. Welcome strangers into your house so that God can welcome them into his house. And uh, before we leave here today, we're going to close the service in just a few minutes, but we wanna, we're, we're going we're gonna, to um, share the Lord's table this morning. And we're going to remember what Jesus Christ did to make us a family. And we're going to do this um, around a table today. So in just a minute, uh, I'm just going to pray. And there's three aisles here that you can come down. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, you are welcome to share this table with us today. We just ask you to um, form, form a couple lines and come to the front. You're going to take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and then eat it. And uh, there's going to be some music playing during that time, and then you can just go back to your seats. Um, so b- before we do that, um, I want to share with you something um, from the Gospel of, of Matthew. And this is really cool. Because sometimes we think that this meal, this, this communion, this Lord's Supper that we share, is just about what happened in the past. Looking back to Jesus' death, his blood and his body, which it is. But it's also about looking to the future. And Jesus did tell us, you need to keep doing this until I come back. And so we're looking forward to when Jesus comes back. And when he does, we will share in a feast. We will share in a great feast around a table with Jesus. And that's, that is actually called in the Bible the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're invited. You're invited. And I want you to ask yourself today, am I going to be at that supper? And today we are gathered to remember this vision that Jesus gave us for our future, a future that he has prepared for us as our ultimate host. You remember when Jesus said that? I'm going, pretty soon I'm going. He said to his disciples, I'm going, and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when I, when I come back, you can be with me. That's, that's, who, that's who the ultimate host is, Jesus. That's who we're pointing people to when we open our homes. So in Matthew's Gospel, we read about Jesus sharing a last meal with his disciples. And that's what we call the Lord's Supper. And Jesus talked about that marriage supper, supper of the Lamb on his last night with his disciples. And, and this is what he said. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's what we're looking forward to today. Please join me in prayer, and then you're free to come up. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you have reached down to us. You have condescended to us. In your grace, you have chosen us and called us and brought us in to your house. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which reconciles us to you, you have made peace with us through his blood. And today we remember that, that we are your children, 
that we are in your adoptive family and that no one can take us away from you. No one can undo what you've done through your son, Jesus. Our future is secure, and we look forward to the day when we will take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb, our King Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.